I'm a little emotional this morning. And I'll, uh, I'll share it with you towards the end of the message. <clears throat> but I just wanted to concentrate and leave here worshiping the Almighty God. You know, this morning my message, I don't know, as I prepared and studied, in some ways I was left with more questions than answers, and maybe you will be when you leave here this morning. But if it causes you to go to your knees in prayer, if it causes you to open God's Word and study, if it causes you to seek godly counsel, biblical counsel, praise God. You could put your finger in uh, page 947 of your pew Bible, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Otherwise, I'm just going to be reciting a, a lot of verses, covering a lot of ground this morning. And, uh, but I do want to concentrate somewhat on those verses. <clears throat> you know, I think the world has learned something in the last year that actually we know, but we sometimes forget and sometimes ignore. And that's if you're going to go into battle, you better know your enemy. And I don't know how the Russia-Ukraine thing will ever fall out. I don't know how much we hear is propaganda from one side or the other, but I think it is quite obvious to the whole world that Russia didn't know their enemy. And they have suffered painful loss because of it. You know, we sing and we teach and we pray and victory in Jesus. Well, if there's victory... There must be conflict, and there must be an enemy. My question is, to you this morning is, do you know the enemy? And do you know his methods and tactics and goals? Because life can be painful if you don't. Just a quick fly through. In Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28, it talks about Lucifer falling from heaven, rebelling against God, wanting to be like God, wanting to be equal with God, and God cast him and the demons and angels that followed him out of heaven. And from that point on, Satan knew he was defeated, but he was going to do everything he could to oppose God's will and God's desires and God's plan. So what are his tactics? Who is he? You know, from Genesis to Revelations, the Bible is full of scriptures talking about the evil one. In fact... It can be somewhat confusing. Who is this guy? 2 Corinthians 4, 4 calls him the God of the world. Jesus himself in John 14, 30 and 12, 31 and in 16, 11 called, 
refers to Satan as the ruler of the world. Isn't it interesting when, when Satan tempted Jesus to, hey, you bow down and worship me and you don't have to go to the cross, you have the whole world. And Jesus didn't say, oh, you don't have that authority, Satan, to give me the world. No, Jesus didn't, didn't argue that point. He argued about only bowing down to the true God. Ephesians 2.2 2 talks about the prince of the power of the air. The Bible talks about Satan as the God, small g, of this world. And he has a lot of influence. And I don't think it takes a genius to look around and see it. But in the beginning of creation, God's crowning moment of creation was creating Adam and Eve. Creating them in the image of God. Creating them to have a relationship and fellowship and communion with the Almighty Creator. And we know that those, that relationship was destroyed when Adam and Eve listened to the snake in the tree and disobeyed God because the snake in the tree was out to destroy that relationship between man and God. Sin separates. Sin separates us from the Creator, from the Almighty God. And we see that happen in Genesis chapter 3. David in Psalm 143.3 states, For the enemy has pursued my soul. Could we be real this morning? The enemy is pursuing your soul. The enemy is pursuing your children's soul, your neighbor's soul. Second Corinthians 5.18 in the Living Trans- er, Bible, all this newness is, of life is from God who bought us, brought us back to himself through what Christ did. And John 3.16, a very familiar one, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. See, God's plan is to restore man to himself, to restore that relationship, to restore that communion. And Satan is out to oppose that. So who is the enemy? What is the enemy? How does the enemy work? Because of Adam and Eve's rebellion, we are born with a sinful nature. And if anybody has raised a two-year-old, you understand that completely. You don't have to teach them to say mine and grab the toy from their brother or sister. You don't have to teach them to say no when mom and dad ask them to do something. It is in us. And you know it, and I know it. But we also face a spiritual enemy. 
an enemy that is not seen. Ephesians 16, 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You know, in our our culture, in our day and age of science and academia, enlightenment, logic, we tend to disregard the spiritual world around us. We tend to disregard the evil that is lurking. There's an Englishman, and I'm not sure I can pronounce his name, in 1869, Charles Baldelaine, made the statement, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was, was convincing the world he didn't exist. Don't we see that today? And even, I think sometimes we as believers, we kind of dismiss the evil spirits and powers and authorities. You see, there's a snake in the tree, and his tactics haven't changed. Remember what he said to Eve and then to convince Adam? Did God really say? Did God really say? Do you see that in our world today? And then he said, you will know. You yourself will know good and evil. You yourself can determine your own truth. Did God really say? I don't know if there's any proof that the Bible's true. Just look around you. Isn't that what is going on today? Your own truth. You can know. And really, did God really say... And as I was preparing this and uh, shared with the, the ministers, I'm no theologian, I'm no Bible scholar. But as, if you're familiar with the account of the fall and of creation, you know, when God created Adam and Eve, he created them with, to rule over the animal kingdom and to tend and care for the garden. I would propose that in a sense, God put man in place on, in his creation as little g God of creation. The one to manage it, to take care of it, in obedience to the creator. And they rebelled and they rejected God's word. And they listened to the snake in the tree And I just think, in a sense, they ceded the position that God had created them for to the snake in the tree. And he became the God with a little g of this world. 
and thorns and thistles, and by the sweat of your brow, and disease and death and natural disasters, and broken arms and flat tires and leaky faucets. We live in a broken world. And we could blame Adam and Eve, but we wouldn't have done any different. And so the God of this world, God has given some authority, some power to, to work his deception. Probably the classic of this is the book of Job. Familiar. Job was following God and Satan said, well, God, no wonder he follows him. You blessed him so much. And God said, well, okay. See, see where his faith is. Is it in the blessing or is it in me? And Satan caused a tornado to destroy the house that all his children were in and killed them all. Satan inspired an enemy people to come and steal all the physical, the flocks and herds that Job had. And finally, in the end, Satan caused a physical disease upon Job with was extremely painful. Make no mistake this morning. God is truth and Satan is lies. Satan is out to corrupt and counterfeit all that is true. And today the snake in the tree is still saying, did God really say? And you can know. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. And even if our gospel is veiled or hidden, it is hidden to those who are perishing in their case. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. We are not fighting an intellectual battle. We are not fighting of who has the best argument. We are fighting a spiritual battle. And we need God's Spirit to go before us. We need to be on our knees praying for those whose eyes have been hidden, whose the gospel has been hidden from their eyes. See, Second Timothy 3, 7 talks about, and this is talking about the last days, but the people that are always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. You know, we have never had a time that there's more knowledge, more data, more studies, and no solutions, no answers. Truth is hidden. The God of this world has blinded the eyes of our people. You know, I just think a, a very simple example of that. Obviously, we're looking for solutions to poverty. All of us are. 
We have more knowledge, more data, and more studies, and no solutions. This is a number of years ago, and my guess is it's still true. But I once listened to a study, and this was a secular group, that this was not a, a Christian group of any kind. And they said there's a 100% or maybe 99.9% guarantee of not living in poverty. You graduate from high school, you wait till marriage to have children, and you stay married. You know, that almost sounds like some things from the Bible, doesn't it? That almost sounds like God's plan. Back there in the garden, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one. It almost sounds like, hey, refrain from sexual sin. God's plan is sex in marriage. How many times do you hear that as a solution in our world today, in the media? In academia, the God of this world has blinded the eyes. The snake in the tree. Did God really say? Because you can know your own truth. 2 Timothy 4, 3 says, For time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They're going to find teachers that say the things that sound good to them. That meet their own truth. And I don't know if it's just me, but it just seems like more and more I see the corruption of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, he's mentioned... Would Jesus really do that? He loves everybody. Would he act like that? Jesus is all about love and mercy, and it's the only reason I can stand up here. Nothing of my own am I worthy. But let me tell you, he's more than love and mercy. He's victory over sin and death. He didn't die so we could stay sinners. And live in sin. But our society tells you Jesus is love. And he, he's there and he tolerates whatever you do. Whatever your truth is, he supports it. And he na- enables whatever lifestyle you choose to live. That is the gospel of the snake in the tree. That you can know your own truth. And did God really say? 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. That we might die to sin. And live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep. But have now returned to the shepherd. And overseer of your souls. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Did God really say 
that? See, this is not a political battle that we're in. This is not a philosophical battle that we're in. This is a spiritual battle that we're in. I love the song. So when I fight, I'll fight on my knees. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. We need to pray. We need to be on our knees and pray. If I could just shift gears for a moment and talk about more of a personal that each one of us as individuals, the battles that we face. See, what about me and what about you? Because the enemy is pursuing our souls. And the first goal of the snake in the tree is to keep you, to blind your eyes, that you never come to the knowledge of the truth, the truth of salvation through Jesus Christ. In the parable, Jesus talks to the sower and the seed. The one soil is the, is the, the sower is sowing the gospel of Jesus, the, the gospel of the good news, the gospel that brings forth life. The seed lands on the hard ground and the birds come and take it away. And throughout scripture, birds represent the evil one. This morning, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, realize it's a snake in the tree that's blinding you. Is that where you want to be? Is that where you want to go? Follow him? Could you pray that God would soften your heart even in unbelief if you don't believe it? That God could soften your heart that the seed could penetrate and the birds, the snake in the tree wouldn't take it from you? That it could bring forth Life. And I would propose the second goal of the snake in the tree is to keep believers, those that have, have surrendered their life to Christ, to keep them bogged down with sin and guilt. You know, I'm not a doctor, and I'm not a psychiatrist, and I'm not a Bible counselor. But I know there's a physical aspect of our lives. There's a mental aspect of our lives and there's a spiritual aspect of our lives. And they're really intertwined and one affects the other. Beginning of the year, our elders preached. They said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and all your strength. 
And if God is asking us to love him in the, in the physical sense, in the mental sense, and in the spiritual sense, you can guarantee the snake in the tree wants to corrupt that and attack that. And if I was computer savvy enough, I'd have a slide up here, but I'd like to, in your mind or in your paper, put two columns. Think of two columns. And one at the top is the snake in the tree. The other column is the empty tomb and a risen Savior. And I'm going to give you some words. And I'd like you to put them in one of the other columns. A critical spirit. Bitterness. Unforgiveness. Lust. Materialism. Anger. Pride. Substance abuse. Anxiety. Jealousy. Poor self-image. My guess is you put those in the column under the snake in the tree. These are pure lies from the evil one that somehow you can be fulfilled. Somehow you, you harbor those in your life. Another few words. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Truth from the Holy Spirit. Provided by our risen Savior. If you would turn to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, physical, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, the Spirit. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that, the test, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, I would like to stand up here this morning and say, you know what, if you have struggles in your life, if you're struggling with anxiety, if you're struggling with, uh, with uh, lust, if you're struggling with bitterness, just pray about it, give it to God, and he'll take it away. And you know what sometimes he does? I've experienced it. I've heard the testimonies of others that have experienced it. 
But I can share with you that in my experience, it is often a battle. And it involves the physical, it involves the spiritual, and it involves the mental. A while back, we had a, a Bible class, a, a class upstairs geared towards men dealing with uh, sexual lust, pornography, and the scourge it is in our society. When it enters the church, and it's a struggle for many men especially, also for some women. And they shared that this is much more than just a decision of yes or no. I'm going to or I'm not going to. We need a renewing of the mind because the mind is broken. And it takes counsel. And it takes accountability. And it takes encouragement. And it doesn't happen overnight. And I think we could say the same thing for anxiety. I googled anxiety and it talks about the anxiety generation of the young people today. Paralyzed and handicapped by anxiety. Can we win? Can we win the battle? Where's the victory? You know, in the story of the prodigal son, Jesus is telling the story about the father and the son. And the son comes to the father and says, give me. Give me. Do we ever do that? Father, give me. But after the young man had destroyed his life and came to his senses, the Bible says, he came back to the father with, Father, make me. Make me your servant. Make me the lowest one in the house. I just want to live in your house. And the father embraced him as a son. Isn't it just like God, that to get victory we have to surrender? The first shall be last. The weak shall be strong. If you want victory, surrender. Surrender to God. Be vulnerable. A number of years ago, I remember listening to Focus on the Family and I think it was Dr. Dobson gave the example. There was a little girl and she was scared of the dark and scared to be alone in her room and she'd go to her mom and dad and cry and I, I, I'm scared and oh, Jesus is there with you, honey. Jesus is there with you. And this went on for several times and finally she came and said, I know Jesus is with me but I need someone with skin on. We need somebody with skin on to walk beside us. To walk with us. To help us. 
to be vulnerable to, to surrender. And the third goal of Satan is to prevent us from sharing the gospel. Keep us sitting there with our mouths shut. And Satan is dirty. He doesn't play fair. First Thessalonians 2.18, Paul said, I, I wanted to come visit you. But Satan present, prevented me. Satan is out to prevent us. You can talk to the missionaries that have given up everything and the battles that Satan brings them. You know, every week we have in the prayer in the bulletin or the uh, uh, prayer chain, pray for the minister this week and his family. That's the minister sometimes how their week goes before they preach. See how many flat tires they've had and see how many broken doors or windows. That's how they've been with their wife that week. Because if there's, if there's an issue, it's coming. It's coming on strong. That is not a generic prayer request on the prayer chain. That is a heartfelt cry from us ministers, from the elders, from the Sunday school teachers. I've suffered uh, two sudden tragedies of the loved ones that I love. Several years ago, as I was going to preach that Sunday, I got a call that my son had been in a terrible accident. Had lost his leg. And I couldn't preach that Sunday. And I was scheduled to preach this message in January. My mom had been in the hospital with a heart attack, and we thought she was dying. My son-in-law was rushed to the hospital on Wednesday that, that week with a blood oxygen of 40. Should have been in the upper 90s. Healthy young man. And Friday... My brother-in-law and business partner was killed in an accident. Do you think that Satan didn't stop me with some fear this week? But I serve the fearless one. And I preach his gospel. And until I can no longer preach 
until the church decides that I'm too old, I'm going to preach. Because our victory has been won. In our hymnal, um, there's a reading on 585, and it said, God is on the throne. Through waves and clouds and storms, he gently clears thy way. Wait thou his time, so shall this night soon end in joyous day. And it says, what though thou rulest not, yet heaven and earth and hell. So proclaim, God sitteth on the throne and ruleth all things well. Please stand and, and sing with us, sovereign over us.
say yes he did yes he did he speaks truth don't believe the lie of the snake in the tree let's pray Lord Jesus we thank you we thank you for the empty tomb you won the victory Lord over sin and death and you just ask us to surrender to you because we're fighting a battle that you've already won. Amen. Go in peace.